I'm Ron Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tapp and Tap Into the Truth. of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, coming to you live from historic Rome County, Tennessee, and so very glad to be with you and just ecstatic that you guys keep coming back and listening to the show. So thank you so much for that. A uh, special shout out to the folks who may be listening on the terrestrial radio stations across the country that rebroadcast this show. If you are listening in one of those places, allow me to welcome you and thank you so very much for being here and to let you know that the time that the broadcast actually took place was around 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, roughly, give or take a few moments. Uh, 
on January 24th, 2022. It's a Monday. Normally I do the Sunday show and then take the Monday off, but uh, wasn't able to get to Sunday this week. And uh, I, I think I've actually got things squared away where I'm going to be able to start scheduling guests again, although it's going to have to be uh, recorded, remain recorded for the time being, uh, as I'm still kind of uh, working around scheduling. I don't always get to start at the time I would like right now, but the good news still is I think I can make enough time that I schedule a time to make the call, get it recorded, get everything going together. I'm excited about the possibility. Going to try to bring back a good friend of mine, a good friend of the show, uh, Mr. Ken Crow. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to sit down, record with him uh, tomorrow, assuming everything's all right. He had a bit of a spill the other day, and uh, he's still not back to 100%. So hopefully... We'll be able to uh, get together, get that recorded, and then you will get to hear him on what will end up being the Wednesday night broadcast. Since I'm kind of off by one day, uh, we'll try to work that out until we can get back on a closer to regular schedule. All right, with all that out of the way uh, and uh, all the good stuff, uh, no matter where you're listening at, I want to thank you one more time for being here. And uh, in that vein, what do you say we actually get to the heart of things? Tensions are continuing to escalate between Russia and Ukraine and, of course, then by extension, the United States and our European allies, particularly NATO, uh, things are still mm, ratcheting up, something that I don't think we would have seen under a Trump administration. Uh, we did see the invasion of Georgia by Russia under George W. Bush. Not much pushback there. We did see the taking of Crimea uh, by the Russians under Barack Hussein Akbar Obama. Uh, didn't see much in the way of aggressive movements from Russia under Trump. Uh, it seems that Trump was very proactive in trying to uh, put the kibosh, if you will, on such aggressive actions. And for somebody that was supposed to be a, a tool of the Kremlin... He certainly seemed to be much better at keeping Russia in check than any of his more recent predecessors and certainly the current successor, uh, the P-Pads, part of Operation P-Pads and Knee-Pads. Uh, so as a result of this continuing tension rising, ratcheting up, uh, it appears that Biden has put... 8,500 troops on a heightened alert to be prepared to be deployed to Eastern Europe. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Biden also made headlines today as he got caught on a hot mic, uh, being less than friendly with Peter Ducey, uh, the Fox News reporter who's there covering the White House. Uh, they've had a few run-ins, and he asked, uh, Peter, asked the president, if he thought, asking as they were being rushed out of the room, if he thought that the high inflation would be an issue uh, to what would work against Democrats in the midterm elections. Biden's response was to kind of halfway ignore Ducey as the room was being cleared. And then he just kind of said, oh, yeah, it's an asset. It's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a. You know, SOB. Kind of an SOB. Only he was 
not exactly as polite as that. Clear as a bell. No, it was just absolutely. It was easier to hear Biden say that than it was to hear Ducey asking the question as he was trying to walk be walk away as he's being rushed out. A very strange scenario. Another headline of interest: the Supreme Court has refused to hear a GOP challenge to Pelosi's proxy voting procedures. Uh, I I find that kind of odd. You know, the the Supreme Court. Absolutely refuse to hear the challenge. I don't understand why they wouldn't. See, McCarthy said that we're asking the Supreme Court to uphold the Constitution by overturning Speaker Pelosi's perpetual proxy voting power grab. Although the Constitution allows Congress to write its own rules, those rules cannot violate the Constitution itself including the requirement to actually assemble in person. Now, McCarthy also added that it was raw abuse of power from the beginning that was done despite unified opposition from the minority and even members of the majority. Its continuation is an insult to hard-working taxpayers who are back at work safely while members of Congress get a pass to skip work but still get paid. The founders wisely rejected proxy voting because they knew Congress cannot adequately do the business of our chambers without deliberating. And we cannot adequately deliberate without assembling in person. The Senate has managed through the whole pandemic without proxy voting because they know, as we do, it is unconstitutional. To restore the House to its proper legislative role, the Supreme Court must strike down the proxy vote. Now, that seems a pretty compelling argument, right? Seems pretty impassioned, too. And I would actually say pretty legit. I, again, I, I circle back around to the I don't understand why the Supreme Court wouldn't get involved here. According to the Politico, three-judge panel of the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia unanimously agreed that the courts did not have jurisdiction under the Constitution to weigh in on the House rules and procedures. That decision upheld an earlier ruling by a federal district court. Now, again, the court doesn't have jurisdiction to interfere with Congress, either House, making their own rules. The court can't just suddenly pop up and say, uh, the filibuster is unconstitutional, because, you know, it's just a rule. It's a rule that doesn't violate the Constitution in any real way. Uh, so, okay, why would you say that? But the Constitution does, it does say you have to meet in person. So the proxy vote, even if you wanted to give them a pass, for the early interaction with COVID, it still doesn't make sense for them to continue, especially with all the additional virtue signaling that they're doing with the social distancing and the mask. And at this point, if COVID was going to get them, it would already have them and it would have scared them away. But as you know, COVID is the smartest virus to ever exist. It doesn't attack leftists, uh, which is why it's okay to, to protest in the streets, a la anything to do with George Floyd. 
anything to do with Antifa or Black Lives Matter, but uh, you stand up for something that a conservative or a Christian or, shoot, just some random white person might be standing up for, well, then that's a super spreader, even if only three people show up. So I, I don't know how the virus is so smart, and I don't know why the Supreme Court doesn't want to get involved because I'm sorry when the Constitution does specifically say meet in person it's hard to buy into the argument that oh well you see um, we don't have jurisdiction because they get to make their own rules yes they get to make their own rules within certain limitations <clears throat> so I don't know uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here uh, of course, Nancy has extended this practice multiple times. In December, and most recently, Pelosi prolonged it through February 13th of 2022, uh, a date that's actually fast approaching at this point. I, uh, I don't know how this plays out in the end, but it certainly seems kind of ridiculous. Uh, also in the headlines, uh, a new nominee for the uh, court Biden nominee, uh, argued voter ID requirements are part of the same playbook as Jim Crow. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so the story here is a federal judicial nominee recently nominated by <clears throat> barely there Beijing Biden uh, told law school students two years ago that people who support voter ID laws have privilege and are going by the very same playbook as those who upheld Jim Crow era voting laws, at least according to footage reviewed by the Daily Wire. The attorney, Natasha Merrill, who said the GOP was trying to scare people. Merrill, an NAACP attorney, also included in Biden's 13th round of nominees on January 19th, according to the White House memo, uh, she would work for the United States District Court for the Eastern District of New York. This aspiring judge prides herself on promoting racial justice, primarily in the areas of criminal justice, political participation, and educational opportunities, and was the lead counsel in a case against former President Donald John Trump, accusing his election integrity commission of being racially discriminatory. She's taught law school courses such as racial justice at Columbia. Uh, very interesting. Uh, it'll be uh, even more interesting to see what happens here. Uh, clearly, this lady would be an activist. Clearly, she has no interest in actual justice, only racial justice, which anytime you have to put an adjective in front of it, you're not really looking for justice anymore. We covered that a while back, and we keep bringing it up. <sighs> New York City continues to see horrific crime after horrific crime. Uh, now another person has been pushed into the uh, subway tracks. Uh, you're hearing everybody call for uh, security measures to be stepped up, improved, increased. Uh, until you decide once and for all, all you left-run cities, 
till you decide once and for all that you actually care about law and order and that you want to reestablish some type of mental health facilities as well so that you can take these people off the streets so that you don't want to just lock up uh, the folks that are maybe in need of psychiatric help. Well, then you still need to have some place to put them to get them off the streets. Because that's, according to the reports we're seeing from this past week, the people most responsible for a majority of the random violent crimes that have been leading to people's deaths. For crying out loud, how hard is this? Law and order is a simple concept. You just have to be serious about it. Would-be criminals need to know that there would be consequences for their bad behavior, real consequences, consequences that they might not want to face, enough to make them say, maybe I better not do that. It's at least a step in the right direction and a step that each and every one of those left, running, leaning cities needs to consider. Things aren't going to get any better until they do. Oh, yeah, and uh, get your cops uh, back on the streets, full numbers. Get them loaded up with the equipment they need. Get additional personnel. Show a force. Sometimes just showing the force is enough. Not asking for brutality, just asking for a real presence, enough to make the would-be criminals think twice. Also, in the last few days, roughly about a $130 billion value has been completely wiped out on the crypto markets. According to most would-be analysts, they want to blame this on weighing the risk of a war in Ukraine and various interest rates. But here's the real reason. If you're not into crypto, you're not going to care about this. If you are into crypto, I probably don't have to explain it to you. But right now, the United States Congress is about to declare war on cryptocurrencies. They're already laying the groundwork. They're making it clear. They want to treat this like something that they can control because they're not happy right now that they don't. This is causing a lot of people that got in to avoid that type of governmental scrutiny to panic and to try to get out why they still can, which in turn only hurts people like me who's trying to stay the course. So naturally, you can count on me to keep an eye on this story and still occasionally bring it up when I'm behind the microphone. Another headline worth at least commenting on, uh, a WHO official came out and uh, said that we're only at the halfway mark of the pandemic. Now, I would really like to know how it is that Anybody can feel justified in making a comment like this. Even Anthony Fauci has gotten to the point where he's just trying to to warn everybody, let's not get cocky. Uh, Because when you look at all the data, all the current information, if we take it face value, in other words, if we don't even uh, put any concerns about anything outside of what will get you banned, If you're not trying to spread COVID misinformation, uh, as it would be defined by social media outlets like Twitter and Facebook. If you just want to look at the data that is officially coming from uh, studies in South Africa, studies in uh, 
all throughout Europe at this point, and even some studies that the CDC itself and the WHO have conducted on their own, when you break down the data, when you actually look at the information, the pandemic is, hold on to your socks, I'm still going to get banned for saying this, it's over. By their own numbers, by their own accounting, by their own information, by the own, their own science that they want us to follow, but they're not following themselves, it's over. Now, if you wanted to take the jab as being 100% straight up legit, which I know a lot of the folks that listen to this show do not, you got your issues with it, you don't trust it, you, you're not going to get into it, and that's fine. Welcome to America, baby. You're free to do whatever you need to, and God bless you. I love you just the same. But let's pretend for a second that we all believed everything they said about said vaccinations, which actually, as I've said a multitude of times, it's not really a vaccine. They had to change the definition of the word vaccine to, to make it count as a vaccine. It was just a, an injectable therapeutic. Okay, I don't know what's wrong with calling it that. Just people feel more comfortable calling anything you jab yourself with a vaccine, I guess. I, I, you know, control the language, boys and girls, control the language. But from the moment that those were readily available, if you bought into everything that the left was selling you, all the control freaks, all the little tiny tyrants that wanted to step up and take over your life, it was over then. Because at that point, you were relatively safe. Before COVID, there were very few breakthrough cases, so you were pretty safe. Again, this is based on the data that they freely shared, uh, for better or for worse, their side of the argument, their side of their science, okay? According to them, other than a few Delta variant breakthroughs, very rare. And because you were vaccinated, if you were completely vaccinated, you had a level of protection that was more likely to keep you from having anything very se severe. So you weren't going to have to worry about being hospitalized. You weren't going to have to worry about being put on a ventilator. You weren't going to have to worry about dying. Except for the fact if you happen to have four or more comorbidities, then you're probably running a pretty high risk. But as I pointed out recently, and again, want to thank Ron Edwards for having me on his show this past Sunday. Pointed out there that according to all the information the CDC has released at this point, even with the Delta variant, which is supposed to have been to this point the most deadly variant of the COVID-19. The people who were dying typically had four or more comorbidities, meaning that if you had three or fewer you probably were going to be okay. If you had three of them, you were probably going to feel pretty miserable and probably think that, yeah, you're probably going to go meet Jesus real soon. And for those of you who don't believe in Jesus, that's a pretty scary thought when it pops up. Oh, no, I'm going to go see Jesus. Um, uh, is it too late to start praying right now? The answer is no, but eh, you kind of see through that. A full repentance kind of hard to work in in a small amount of time. But hey, go for it. It's a good plan. <laughs> the, uh, the point being, uh, if you had no comorbidities, you were probably all right. Probably. 
I, and I say that because there's still a, a little bit of room, a little wiggle room uh, for a possibility that maybe somebody hasn't worked into a report yet. But at the end of the day, I am still waiting to see the first case verified and certified of somebody that actually simply died from COVID. Lots of people died with COVID. How many people died from COVID? How many people are there that COVID is actually what killed them? as opposed to simply exacerbating conditions for these other underlying comorbidities that it just aggravated them, and that's what took them out. Because if it takes four comorbidities to put you on the average track to die from it, then there's a really good chance that pretty much any other respiratory infection of any kind could have done the same thing. In a case of somebody whose health being that poor, there's a good chance that getting a really bad cold would do the trick. There's a chance that getting a medium flu would be enough t- to take you out. So the core, the comorbidities were still the factor. Now, I don't say this to, to diminish anyone who lost a loved one either. I mean, if you did, it sucks. And I know there's no chance that I'm going to get through to you and help you to understand that there is an important reason for making this distinction. And the very fact that now, under the Obama administration, the CDC is willing to start tracking those numbers, willing to admit that there is, in fact, a difference between people who are in the hospital with COVID as opposed to how many people are in the hospital because of COVID, that should tell you all you need to know about the issue. It is something more than just a difference without a distinction. It is a difference that very much has a distinction because it matters at the end of the day when trying to tally up exactly how dangerous this virus was from the very beginning, let alone now. And now, again, according to what they have, we have from Pfizer some new pills that are therapeutics that are very much available. You still have several treatment options that uh, people kind of gravitated towards even before Donald Trump's administration was removed and the new current administration was installed, that the medical industry wanted to poo-poo on, the social media controllers of information, the masters of the gateway wanted to control, didn't want you to know about certain types of antibodies, certain types of medications that have been previously used for various purposes like anti-malarials. You know, and I'm, I'm not saying the names because you know the names. You don't need me to tell you. Now, these things are still being used, but you're not supposed to tell anybody. Shh. Now, there's finally some acknowledgement by the same people that's been poo-pooing that from the beginning that, well, you know, in some cases, maybe this does work. In some cases, how about looking at the actual numbers again? How about following the science? Uh, They seem to be very effective. So you put those factors in place. Guess what? The pandemic was over. But the final nail in the coffin, the final sign that the pandemic is over is the fact that Omicron, it actually does break through and makes children sick. It does break through and make anybody who's triple, quadruple, quintuple vaxxed, they're getting it. It breaks through these uh, 
injectable therapeutics that they want to call vaccines, it doesn't stop Omicron at all. And again, even people who have multiple comorbidities get it, and worst case, it's like a bad cold. You have to have so many comorbidities in play before you run a serious risk with Omicron of uh, having to be put on a ventilator or possibly dying that you probably should have been taking much better care of yourself already. You shouldn't have expected to make it through another year. Okay, If you're laying around, eating bonbons, watching the Kardashians, smoking uh, five packs a day or more in some cases, and then you are surprised that suddenly you start feeling really, really bad when you get a respiratory infection of any kind, come on, man. I feel like Joe Biden all of a sudden. Come on, man. <laughs> there are reasonable limits. That's the whole point. A reasonable limit is exactly that, a reasonable limit. So this guy wants to come out and say we're halfway through. We're at the halfway mark of the pandemic. No, we have already, thanks to Omicron, moved into full-blown endemic mode. So the virus itself that causes the COVID-19, it's not going anywhere. It's going to keep mutating and mutating and mutating. And it appears, hopefully it will continue down this path, to be following the normal evolutionary path that most viruses do. And that is, tries to become more easily spread, a.k.a. more contagious. Tries to become less harmful to the host so that it can continue to replicate itself and to make more. The driving force in evolutionary life. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I really don't know what's going on here. Also, another headline worth mentioning. Bipartisan group of lawmakers demands that Pelosi holds a vote on stock trading ban. We'll see how that plays out. I think we'll be talking about that quite a bit in the next coming weeks. Uh, just an FYI off to the side, homeschooling rates literally doubled during 2020. And I don't think they're done going up. And one more headline to just do a quick hit about before we get into the main stories for today. A Democratic power broker rakes in $1 million lobbying the Biden White House for Chinese tech giants. Now, of course, we're talking about Tony Podesta. He made about $1 million last year lobbying the Biden White House on behalf of of Huawei. Huawei, why does Huawei need any lobbying here? Oh, could it be because Donald Trump saw that it was a dangerous entity operating with the United States and tried to uh, make it as difficult as possible for them to do business here? Maybe. But the point of the matter here is now Tony Podesta is cashing in on the Chinese dollars that's available and just seems to flow in the direction of the Biden family. We'll see how that plays. Something tells me this is a story that we will very well, very possibly, very probably revisit very soon. In the meanwhile, we are now officially past the halfway point of the first hour, which means I should probably, you know, take a little bit of a break. So you guys uh, stay right where you're at. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back after this brief break.
You're listening to Tap Into the Truth. My name is Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president. I keep forgetting I'm president. Recently, the Michigan Democrat Party elites ignited a massive response from parents who were already very unhappy with the mental damage to students via socialist indoctrination. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Michigan Democrats responded to parents in a written comment stating, quote, not sure where parents should control what is taught in schools because they are our kids is originating, but parents do have the option to choose to send their kids to a hand-selected private school at their own expense if this is what they desire. The snarky leftist drivel continued. The purpose of a public education in a public school is not to teach kids only what parents want them to be taught. It is to teach them what society needs them to know. The client of the public school is not the parent, but rather the entire community, the public. That statement echoed a sentiment expressed by failed Virginia gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe during a debate last October. It is time we the people soon show the elitist Democrats once and for all that they are non-essential in government and education. I'm Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds Coffee, go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Hello, this is Dan Perkins for your Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day. What veterans who are homeless or at risk of homelessness should do for help? Veterans who are homeless or at imminent risk of homelessness are strongly encouraged to contact the National Call-In Center for Homeless Veterans at 877-4-AID-VET. That's 877-424-3838 for assistance. If a veteran does not have access to a phone or the Internet, only then are they to visit the closest VA medical center without calling in advance. All veterans should contact their VA medical center before visiting for any reason. These steps are necessary to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So here's your veterans tip of the day. Contact the VA at 877-424-3838 for more information. The VA wants to help. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. Our Constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free. Just a song before I go To whom it may concern It's easy to get burned Anything to report? Uh, successful dump. I dropped everything at the dump. It all worked out. And by the way, I got a second load. Guys, coming. Anybody wants to help me unload? My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. My mother and father believed. Look, John's last-minute economic plan does nothing to tackle the number one job facing the middle class. And it happens to be, as Barack says, a three-letter word, jobs. J-O-B-S. Jobs. Joe, you want to administer the oath? Am I doing this again? For the senior senior staff. staff. All right. A number of cabinet members have already... (laughs) 
My memory is not as good as Justice Roberts. Chief Justice Roberts. Does, does anyone have the... No, I... And thank you, uh, Dr. Pepper, and thank you, Chancellor, or Dr. Paper, and thank you, Chancellor. But the Taoiseach knows a lot about it. His mom uh, lived in, uh, in Long Island for 10 years or so. Uh, God rest her soul. And uh, um, although she's... Wait, your mom's still... Your mom's still alive as your dad passed. God bless her soul. I got to get this straight. with me through that very brief break. break, break. It's, it was a break, Tim. You can say the word break. It, it's not a hard word. <laughs> All right. So thank you for staying with me through that very brief break as I once again prove how human I am. And uh, welcome back to the show. This is Tap Into The Truth. You are listening to me, your host, ever so humble, and of course, you know, mostly peaceful, uh, Tim Tapp. Got a few things I want to try to uh, tell you about, first and foremost, right now. Uh, in hour number two, we've got two different education stories, so that's why I find it interesting that the first Edwards Notebook of the week uh, has to do with the debacle with the school systems, where uh, the folks in Chicago, they kind of kind of stirred up the hornet's nest with the parents again. Well, it's not like they're really your kids. They're really our kids. All right, but before we go any further into that, I do need to try to sell you something. And in this case, it's a service. The service that uh, we're talking about happens to be press releases. Now, are you somebody that has to do press releases for your company or for your organization? If so, guess what? Uh, There is some simple ways to go about doing it. So if you don't know the best way to go about doing it, I would highly recommend you checking out a company called 24-7 Press Release. Uh, You can find them at, believe it or not, 24-7pressrelease.com. So it's 24-7pressrelease.com. If you're looking for a way to get your press release distribution made simple, this is your simplest, easiest way to go about it. Uh, Distribute your news to traditional and digital media outlets using their user-friendly, proprietary cloud-based platform. Uh, It doesn't matter what news you're trying to share. You just have to submit a release once you sign up, and you would be surprised at how easy this makes it. You need to get the word out for your group, organization, or company. This is the way to do it. doesn't matter if you're uh, looking to spread information about arts and entertainment, business, computers, consumer, active uh, education, home and family, internet, lifestyle, whatever it may be. You can do anything from simply boost the visibility of uh, the profile, the information you're trying to put out, to full-blown mass media visibility. And, uh, you know, Obviously, when you can make this uh, easy, well, it makes your life easier. So again, if you're a PR professional, uh, 247pressrelease.com, worth your time. Now, as with always, 
the easiest way to find that right here. If you're listening to the podcast, there'll be a link down in the show description. Copy that link in its entirety. Paste it to your web browser. Go visit. And by using that link, that's how they know I sent you. If you decide to go ahead and sign up for one of their services, I'll get a small commission. The affiliate uh, situation, it works out to help support the show. So it's a good way for you to support the show and get something you already need anyway. Uh, But even if you don't order something, you don't sign up for a service, uh, it's still good to let them know that traffic is being generated from this broadcast and from the website, which takes me to the other easy way to visit them and still give full credit to the traffic coming from here. And that is, if you're not listening to the podcast, maybe you're listening to terrestrial radio, maybe you're driving around in the car, maybe you're out working, doing whatever, even better. Visit tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P into the truth.com. Later, when you get the chance, when it's not going to cause you to have a wreck, anything like that, and uh, kind of scroll down on the homepage, and you'll see banners for 24-7 press release. And uh, just click on that banner, and it'll take you there, same as if you followed the link. So easy peasy, lemon squeezy, I guess, I I don't know. Whatever your news is, share it with 247pressrelease.com. Okay, now... There's something I need to finish this hour with. Hopefully, I'll be able to share a link where this op-ed will be published. But I'm going to kind of give my dramatic reading of an op-ed that I wrote uh, today. See, back on January 18th, Stephen Colbert speaking with uh, Pocahontas herself, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Well, he was venting his frustration uh, primarily at Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin. You see... Colbert was angered. He was angered that those two Democrat senators voted with all the Senate Republicans to protect the procedural speed bump known as the filibuster. Now, just for general information purposes, uh, in case you don't actually know what the filibuster is and maybe you've been afraid to ask your friends, and, you know, okay, fair enough. Uh, Everybody's talking about it. Everybody knows what it is, uh, except you. You might not want to ask. Fair enough. Just so that you know, moving forward, though, filibuster is a procedural rule in the Senate that basically requires that for non-financial bills to pass the Senate, if the filibuster is invoked, it requires 60 yes votes, not the simple majority of 51 votes. Now, the filibuster rule was created to force the Senate to reach a, a truer consensus, you know, a a more meaningful consensus that would represent something more than just the will of a single political party that managed to have uh, the simple majority. It was also intended to help prevent uh, to to help prevent any knee-jerk reaction legislation from simply moving through Congress so quickly that there wasn't adequate debate and there wasn't a real opportunity to consider all the possible unintended consequences of that particular legislation. Plus, it does have the added bonus of 
protecting minority voices who stand against the bill. If you're in the minority but you're against the bill, you still have a chance to be heard and to possibly stop it thanks to the filibuster. So it is a minority protection uh, device. You know, something the left typically claims to care about, but, you know, very rarely does. Anyway, Colbert, like a lot of Democrat office holders and other left-leaning celebrities, well, they wanted the filibuster out of their way as the Democrats in the Senate looked to pass a bill to set national standards on all elections across the country, uh, a bill that they were very deceptively calling a voters' rights bill. A rule change to remove the filibuster was necessary to pass the voting bill due to the total opposition from Republicans in the Senate. And this was a case where a 50-50 split, not that I actually believe all 50 Democrats uh, in the Senate support the nationalization of elections either, but I digress. That 50-50 split with a tiebreaker vote from Kamala Harris, it simply wouldn't be enough for the Democrats to get their way. Filibuster does its job. So, in his shared leftist frustration, Colbert called for getting rid of the Senate. He wants it abolished, but he literally says, can't we just get rid of it? Now, putting aside for the moment that even if the bill passed the Senate and were then signed by the cognitive decline patient currently residing at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, you know, having already passed the Democrat-dominated House, uh, the new law would still face substantial judicial challenges. The U.S. Constitution has made clear that it's up to the states to administer their elections. But more on states in the Senate a little later. Two questions arise from Colbert's rant, which is certain to become part of the leftist talking points uh, for the very near and probably ongoing future, at least for a while. Question number one, is the Senate the most anti-democratic institution in our government? Because that was a statement that Colbert made during this rant as well. And question number two was what we've kind of already covered. Should the Senate be abolished? So let's start with the first question. Is the Senate the most anti-democratic institution in our federal government? Now, I would make the case that the unelected bureaucracies would win that distinction. So I'm going to say no. The political left, of course, keeps whining about anti-democratic features of our government because direct democracy, also known as mob rule, is the easiest way to, to stir up the public's emotions and then through the masses get their way. This is also why the United States does not have a direct democracy, but a federated constitutional republic. At least that's what the founders gave us. A federated constitutional republic where the federal government is limited, where states' rights and minority voices are protected and safeguards are put in place to avoid, or at the very least slow, tyrannical creep. Now, when the U.S. Constitution was written and then later ratified, the idea of a well-defined and limited role for each branch and those branches being 
co-equal was considered the simplest way to ensure that checks and balances would work to protect everyone. An extension of that idea was to separate the legislative branch into two distinct entities with different objectives. Based loosely on the model of the British Parliament, uh, with one big difference, uh, the House of Representatives, like the House of Commons, was meant to be a direct representative of the general population. The Senate, however, unlike the House of Lords in the Parliament, was designed to represent the interest of the states. It was designed to protect states' rights against overreach from the federal government. The framers of the Constitution understood that each state had different needs and populations. They believed that it would be infinitely unfair for states with denser populations concentrated in a few larger cities to make decisions for states with more rural existence without regard to the wishes of those states. If you ignore their will and make them accept whatever it is that you think is going to work best for you, well, that's not fair. In fact, that would be an awful lot like taxation without representation, you know. So not only would it be unfair, but it also would be a disincentive for potential future states to join the union. Remember, at that point in time, there weren't very many states. There were some territories that either would be absorbed by existing states or become new states of their own. They knew that's what was most likely to happen, and, well, they, they didn't want them to just branch out and not join the United States. So a disincentive like that would be a major, major roadblock could have ended Manifest Destiny before they even had the term. So, the United States, it was meant to be a federation of states that were all different, but all agreed on a few fundamental principles, a few basic reasons for leaving the kingdom of the Brits uh, Mostly, at least first and foremost, individual liberty. Balances between the will of majorities and the rights of minorities were always a focus of the founders. Without protecting the minorities, there's no such thing as individual liberty. Now the point here is that the Senate was not created to be particularly democratic. That really wasn't its its job. It wasn't its role. In fact, for the first 125 years of the Republic, Americans did not vote for senators. State legislators elected senators because they were selected to represent the state's interest. Again, the Senate was there to protect states' rights against federal overreach. The people were electing members of the House of Representatives. When you elected members of the House, those were the people that were supposed to represent the population. That's why different states get different numbers of representatives. The population matters. But there needed to be a balance or you weren't protecting minorities. 
It wasn't until the ratification of the 17th Amendment in April of 2013, 20, <laughs> 1913. I moved it up 100 years further. Uh, <laughs> once again, I'm proving I'm human. I'm proving that too much tonight. So let me just start over on that particular line. It wasn't until the ratification of the 17th Amendment in April of 1913 that the selection of senators changed to the popular vote. And there's no shortage of people that point to that single event as the first major blow against states' rights. So with that in mind, it is at best either simple historical ignorance or, again, benefit of the doubt, simply being disingenuous to expect strict adherence to what Colbert and other leftists would label as democratic by any branch of the federal government. But rules designed to protect minorities are only an issue for the left as long as they are not the majority. Now the second question, and now that's maybe a little harder to answer. See, it becomes more a matter of opinion. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer to this one, I don't think. Just a matter of your perspective. Now, the left might say, yes, in the Senate, because right now they're not getting their way. But to be fair, if the political left had their way, they'd burn it all down. Uh, they're not big fans of the obstacle that the Constitution is for their power grabs. Now, some on the right may say, yes, get rid of it because it no longer fills the role of protecting states' rights that it was designed to do. In contrast, others on the right might only want to keep it because it's the primary means right now that Republicans can use to slow the so-called progressives' radical agenda. I myself? I'd recommend we keep the Senate. I think Colbert's an idiot when it comes to this. In fact, when it comes to a lot of things Colbert's done, he's jumped the shark from being funny to being one of the least reliable political commentators in existence. So I'd recommend we keep it. However, I would add a caveat for for me to say that the Senate's really going to be worth saving. You see, I'd prefer a reset a reset that focused senators on representing the needs of their home states rather than the national party's agenda, which sadly seems to be the only thing senators are concerned about these days, regardless of which party they're in. They're focused on the national party's agenda no matter how it might affect their home state. That's not very good representation, boys and girls. Now, if we needed to repeal the 17th Amendment to make that happen, then so be it. I'm down with that, too. I don't think that you can adequately answer for the interests of your state if you're not answerable to the legislature of your state. It's kind of hand-in-hand. Now, there were problems with the system before, but there's still problems with it now, and it's far worse now than it was then. So... Anybody that wants to dig into the history and say, well, what about this and this? Yes, corruption. Wow. Human beings were involved. 
Again, just because you catch somebody cheating doesn't mean you just find a different way to cheat. It means you try to stop them from cheating. Hold them accountable. Ooh, scary word when it comes to governmental folks. You see, though, it seems like that reset that I would ask for, seems like it's too much to ask. And if that's the case, then at the very least I can take some comfort in the fact that as long as Colbert and people like him are upset about what's going on and how things have played out, well, then some part of the system is still working even if it is working incorrectly and working for the wrong reasons, at least at least it's still working to some degree. All right. So that kind of covers the majority of the op-ed. Kind of embellished here and there. That also takes us dangerously close to the end of the first hour. It's almost like I scheduled it like that. So here's the thing. When it comes to trying to make a determination about abolishing uh, any of our constitutionally required branches of government, I get kind of nervous. Here's a case where they can legitimately argue that as long as the House exists, you have the legislative branch. But the Constitution does say specifically that it will be divided into two sections. And that each section has specific roles to perform as well. And that's the part that is probably the most overlooked now. Because so many folks that work in the legislative side of the federal government have completely abandoned the responsibilities. They would much rather the judiciary or the executive branch uh, take on the responsibility of essentially creating law so that they don't have to. See, they want to run for re-election, and they know it's much harder for a legislator to run based on an actual voting record. For whatever reason, people uh, just simply have mixed feelings about executive orders, and if an executive order is allowed to to be left in place as if it's law, well, then uh, at the very least, you're seen as showing leadership and uh, taking the initiative, and somebody is always going to feel good about that. Somebody is always going to be able to say, well, you know, that's what we sent him there for. Uh, technically, no. No, no, that's that's not what you sent somebody to go be the president for. Yeah, it's not. And if it is, you're, you're doing it wrong. It's not part of our system. You don't want the Supreme Court having to decide every little thing either and, and basically make law uh, because – the legislative body just won't do it. It would be great just to see both the House and the Senate get back to doing what they're supposed to do. It defeats the purpose of having three co-equal branches if you're not actually going to, I don't know, let's say, check and balance one another. That's going to have to be it for the first hour. So for those of you listening on Terrestrial Radio, uh, bye for now. Remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. And most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, stay safe if you can. Woo, crime's getting bad. Stay healthy if you can. Omicron is everywhere. 
And, uh, you know, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. I'll be back later. And if you're listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts right after this. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, let's go, hey. let's go, let's go, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. You know what they say, You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. of Tap Into The Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. I do understand that under the Biden administration, that's getting harder and harder each passing day, especially if you happen to live in a blue state or worse than that, a very blue city within a blue state. Uh, so, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm rooting for you guys, no matter how you vote, although I wish you would wise up and about 
why the way you voted has led you to where you're at right now. Uh, at any rate, with you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from lovely, beautiful, and at the moment, uh, kind of warmish after the last few days. It got up in the 50s, and 50 feels pretty daggum warm when you barely get above 20 for uh, a week and a half. Fairly warm, <laughs> Roan County, Tennessee. Uh, we're not too far off from Knoxville, for those of you not familiar with the area. We're out here in East Tennessee, and we're just off the plateau where I'm at. Uh, so I'm kind of close to Middle Tennessee, but still in East Tennessee. A very, very small distance here. In fact, almost smack dab in the middle uh, of East Tennessee as we're heading towards North Carolina on the one side and then back to it's it's kind of complicated, but uh, it's a beautiful place. And at the very least, I'd like to invite you to come visit. Come visit Sevierville. Come visit Knoxville to see the Sun Spear. Uh, come uh, on out and visit Nashville. Uh, go on through uh, the lots of things uh, that are fun to see in Memphis. Chattanooga's got plenty of great things, including a fantastic aquarium. You know, it's just. So many things to do here in the state, and we've got almost every kind of terrain you can think of except for desert. That really is about it. I mean, well, you know, we don't have uh, Oceanside Beach either, but uh, no oceans, unless you count the uh, the Lost Sea. <laughs> uh, we don't, by the way. We just call it that. Anyway, um, here we are. It is, for the benefit of those of you listening to the rebroadcast on Terrestrial Radio, it is a January 24th. It is 2022. And it's a Monday. Uh, this is the second hour of a two-hour broadcast. Back in the first hour, if you missed it, uh, we had an interesting conversation about some quick hit headlines and then about uh, a very uh, near and dear to me discussion about Stephen Colbert and his suggestion to a United States cinema, yeah, uh, cinema, a United States senator. Uh, we were talking about uh, Pocahontas. Uh, <laughs> basically, shouldn't we just get rid of the Senate? I mean, it's it's the most anti-democratic part of our federal government. And we can't even get rid of the filibuster. Do we even need it? Now, he's saying this to Pocahontas. But he was really upset about Kristen Cinema. And, of course, Joe Manson as well, because they sided with the Republicans, those naughty, naughty Democrats, when it comes to protecting the filibuster, leaving the filibuster in place, not changing the rule so that they could just do away with the filibuster when they felt like it. Because they also understand that while the Democrats have a slim control of the Senate right now, they're not always going to have control of the Senate. They're not always going to uh, even be close. And the day that happens, if you've already opened up a nuclear option to end the filibuster in a certain situations, you can ask Harry Reid about this. You can ask Stephen Colbert because part of his problem was he was talking about the courts. The courts are so anti-democrat. It's like, first of all, he doesn't even understand what democracy means because direct democracy is just mob rule. Direct democracy prevents minorities from having any real protections. Direct democracy sounds good when you're the minority, but when you feel like you outnumber the majority. 
direct democracy sounds really good when you're the majority and you don't want the minority to be able to stop you from achieving the things you want because someone's convinced you it's a good thing. At the end of the day, there should be no federalization of elections. There should be no standards established by the federal government because the Constitution clearly says it's up to the states to run these elections how they want. Now, the states have within their state constitutions and with their uh, laws that they have established rules for how they conduct their elections, and the federal government should be wary of any results that affect federal offices when the states have not followed their own laws. But that's the extent of the interest that they should be expressing at any point in time. It's completely legitimate and it's completely appropriate for the federal government to be concerned if, for some reason, a state has done something that is not legal within that state that leads to a difference in outcomes, especially one that might give one political party an advantage over the other. That should be watched. So the point of the matter being that uh, if you missed that conversation, then please, by all means, uh, go visit tapintothetruth.com or you can go directly wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, go back and uh, listen to uh, the podcast version of today's show. Once you found it, just listen to hour number one. If you want to skip ahead to that part of the conversation, uh, it actually took place in the uh, second half of the first hour. So you can uh, squeak right up to about the 30-minute mark. Of course, you know me. I run a little long, so uh, probably closer to the 31-minute mark uh, before you'll hear me go into my spiel about taking the breaks and, and all that jazz. But at any rate, go ahead. Give it a listen. Now. There are still at least two stories, both having to do with education and the ridiculous hypocrisy of the left, uh, that I want to talk about a little more in depth than the quick hit stuff. And so at this point, I think I babbled on long enough for the intro for this hour. What do you say we get to the first of those two stories, and then we'll see if there's any time left to sneak anything else in. I'm going to say probably not, because I know me, but hey, I can try, right? Okay, so here's your headline that you may have missed. Uh, California mom takes legal action against teachers who allegedly persuaded 11-year-old daughter that she was a boy. Okay, oh, I just paused for a second to let that sink in. Uh, teachers persuading an 11-year-old girl? All right, so here's the deal. A California mother whose sixth grade daughter was allegedly, let's say we're trying to do the journalistic thing, a teenage daughter was allegedly recruited by teachers and encouraged to change her name to a boy's name. All right, sorry, had a little bit of a coughing fit, had to, to hit the, the pause button there for a second, so uh, uh, let's jump back into this. A California mother whose sixth-grade daughter was allegedly recruited by teachers and encouraged to change her name to a boy's name while being told not to tell her mother, well, she's taking legal action against the school district. 
Miss Jessica Cohen filed a legal claim against uh, Spreckles Union School District. I, I think that's the name here. Uh, claiming Buena Vista Middle School teachers Lori Cadera and Kelly uh, Barsky planted the seeds, uh, that's in quotation marks, to convince Cohen's daughter to believe she was bisexual and then urged the girl to believe that she was a transgender boy. Now, the Center for American Liberty, which is representing Jessica Cohen, said, quote, Teachers encouraged Jessica's daughter to change her name to a boy's name as an expression of her new identity and specifically instructed her not to tell her mother about her new identity because her mother couldn't be trusted. Then they gave her articles and required her to read them on how to hide her transgenderism from her mother. Still, without Jessica's knowledge, Teachers and administrators created a gender support plan instructing faculty to refer to her daughter by her new name, male pronouns, and to let her use the unisex teacher's restroom. Now, a statement of facts and claims from the Center of American Liberties uh, reads as the following. Miss Caladeri and Miss Baraki the two teachers uh, questioned here, operated the Buena Vista Equality Club. Now, this is a club for students comprised primarily of students that they had identified as potential LGBT plus students. These two teachers took measures to keep students' participation in the Equality Club and new LGBT plus identities, including new gender identities and expressions, secret from students' parents. Specifically, these two teachers, one, instructed students that they should not tell their parents about their new LGBT plus identities and expression. Two, failed to keep equity club rosters or records so that parents could not discover their children's participation in the club, or their new LGBT plus identities through a review of school records. And then three, held equality club meetings during lunch as opposed to after school so that students who were too young to drive could better hide their participation in the club and also, of course, their new LGBTQ plus identities and expressions from their parents. Uh, Caitlin uh, Peregrine was the principal of Buena Vista. She was aware of the Equity Club and of the two teachers' tactics as set forth in the above mentioning and approved of them. In fact, Miss Peregrine often attended the equality meetings. So now, Referring to uh, Cohen's daughter as A.G., the statement continues, saying for the 2020 through 2021 school year, A.G.'s eighth grade year, Buena Vista continued remote operations, and if students chose, they could stay remote for the duration of that school year. A.G. chose to be remote for the entire school year, although distance learning was difficult on A.G., like many students, 
There was a silver lining, however, because A.G. was not at, I'm sorry, because A.G. was at home throughout the school day, she was no longer in the clutches of these two teachers. Freed from their influence, A.G. began to return to her old self. A.G. started high school in the fall of 2021 in the new school district. At her new school, she goes by A.G. and she uses female pronouns. Now, the mom, Jessica, who said that the two teachers gave information to her daughter on how to bind her breasts to keep them from developing. She told Laura Ingram, quote, you wouldn't expect a teacher to be predatorial towards a child. They're supposed to be trusted. Their tactics are disgusting. Now, in a shocking report, Abigail Shearer, the author of the best-selling book, Irreversible Damage, revealed that uh, at the late October meeting at a conference in California's largest teachers union, the California Teachers Association, uh, that Caldera, the teacher, reportedly said, quoting now, I'm the teacher who runs our morning announcements. That's another type of strategy that I can give you. I'm the one who controls the messaging. Everybody says, oh, Miss Caldera, you're so sweet. You volunteered to do that. Of course, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Of course, I'm so sweet that I volunteered to do that because then I control the information that goes home. The other teacher, uh, Baraki, allegedly informed the teachers how she hoped to mitigate parents' objections, saying, quote, next year we're going to do just a little mind trick on our sixth graders. They were last to go through this presentation, and the gender stuff was the last thing we talked about. So next year, they'll be going first with this presentation, and the gender stuff will be the first thing that we're about. Hopefully, to mitigate, you know, these kind of responses, right? Now, Baraki could be heard on tape telling the teacher's audience Quote, parents who oppose this material being taught to their sixth graders will find their objections arrive too late. I, I'm pausing right now because I really want that to sink in. That is diabolical. That is evil to an extent that it's difficult to imagine that these people actually believe themselves to be educators. They actually believe themselves to be doing good for the students. They think they're accomplishing something positive. And I suppose that if you're a full-blown leftist, if you truly believe in trying to move forward with the agenda of destroying the nuclear family, of trying to rip apart the idea of traditional values, well then, hey, kudos, good job. You are doing a fantastic job there. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your kid or your grandkids, depending on who you are, 
you're listening to this, I don't know. There's a wide audience of folks listening. Can you imagine your your kids being preyed upon by teachers who simply see you as an obstacle to them controlling the minds and behavior of your child? This whole idea, the concept, the very notion that that they're there to work for you, that they're your employee, is completely lost on these folks now, especially for the folks in the public schools, the ones that that's the truest for. Sure, that's not the name on the bottom of the check, but where does the money come from? Now, the teachers know this. They just don't want to think about it. Clearly not every teacher has this feeling. I don't want to to get the misconception that I'm attacking all teachers. I'm not. Most teachers are, are really good folks. And a lot of the teachers that are involved with this type of behavior are actually victims themselves. They've been so indoctrinated during their time in school, getting their education, getting their credentials, that they don't even realize that that's what they're doing to these kids, only worse. They don't realize it. They don't understand it because they, too, have been a victim of the same system. They have been indoctrinated. But then the other teachers that didn't fall for it, that haven't been indoctrinated, their hands are tied. They're handcuffed. Literally, they're not allowed to deviate from the state's approved, county-approved, school board-approved agenda. Because if they do, they find themselves unemployed. point you to high school football coaches that decides to go ahead and have a quiet moment prayer and the team joins him. Well, well, he's got to go. That's that's that was his business and and completely voluntary. How how do you justify that? Well, it's easy when you're a leftist you can justify anything because it's what we want to do. You prayed, you're a person of faith, you don't believe in the state, you got to go. You're not teaching these kids the right values. Well, what about what about these ladies over here that are literally scheming for the most creative ways to have the most power and sway over these students as possible? To try and literally prevent their students from even talking to their parents. Having a club meeting at lunch so that the parents aren't suspicious. Oh, well, why'd you have to stay late today? A club meeting. Soccer practice. Okay. I, I mean, I just... Uh, diabolical. I, I keep coming back to that word because it is. Not just because they're trying to be all sneaky. Not just because this is completely evil to do this to both the students and the teachers. But because whether they realize it or not, as a person of faith, I have to, I have to believe right here, right there, that the people that are doing this are under the influence of demonic power. I mean, I, I don't often go that route on the show, but for crying out loud, what other explanation is there? There is no way to honestly believe that trying to destroy communication between a student and their parent is ever a good thing. If this person had decided, if the student had decided of their own accord that they have a gender expression that's different than their biological reality, that's the kind of thing they should be discussing with their parents. It's the kind of issue that they're going to have to come to terms with. 
It's the kind of issue that requires communication for the more important. Excuse me, another coughing fit. I'm sorry. Uh, it's the kind of thing that requires discussion to get to the way more important aspect of their life, the relationship with their parents. If you are one of those individuals that honestly believe that severing that relationship, destroying that relationship is the only way to achieve your goal, then you're not on the right side. If you honestly believe that, you're not a good person. I don't care if you're a great teacher, you're not a good person. And if you're not a good person, you shouldn't be allowed to teach no matter how good you might be at it. There needs to be more than just some legal action taken here. There needs to be tar and feathering going on here. There needs to be a return to taking people out of town on a rail for this type of behavior. I mean, when you talk about something that's unacceptable, this certainly qualifies. If you don't feel like that's unacceptable, then I'm going to challenge you to take another hard look at yourself. Get in front of a mirror. Look into your eyes and ask yourself why you would think that, eh, maybe it's okay. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the teachers sense something in the child that the child hadn't realized yet. I'm going to call bovine excrement on that. Here's the, the terrible, horrible secret that nobody wants to discuss. These people that are trying to manipulate children that have created this uh, trending LGBTQ community have done so damaging the mental psyche of a lot of young people. And they've done so without providing the tools to explain why a student should feel that way. They've started targeting kids at a younger and younger and younger age. You now have five-year-olds, four-year-olds being targeted by some of these people. Well, you know, my four-year-old was looking kind of funny down in their diaper, and uh, I came to realize that just probably meant that uh, they were confused about their gender, so they probably think there's something different. It's like, gee, why does it look like that when I feel different? That's not what's happening there yet. I'm going to monitor my language temporarily and then curse a lot when I hit the, the pause button again here in a second. Until a young person has gone through puberty and had experiences, both positive and negative, they are not yet in a position to determine for themselves something as simple as preferences. They just haven't. Now, I've heard the argument, well, I don't feel... I, this was actually a conversation that I was a part of not too long ago. A young girl was uh, coming out at a family dinner and just happened to be there. I'm just not attracted to boys. So you're okay, I can see that. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've seen the boys that go to your school. I don't blame you, but you probably should hold off on making a permanent lifestyle decision here. You're going to run into some 
members, some some specimens of the the male persuasion, they're going to far exceed what you've been exposed to so far. Now, that doesn't mean you're free to change. And if they don't, then, hey, that's on you. And, And maybe you do know, but unfortunately, you presently are suffering from what I like to refer to, and you've heard me say this several times on this broadcast, a glorious lack of life experience. And in that lack of life experience, you do not yet know the things that you do not know. And, like most young people, and I say that because I too was once young, although uh, many moons ago, like most young people, you're not going to listen to anybody try to talk you out of what it is you think you know. Only life experience will teach you the lessons you need to know. And at the end of the day, there is a reason why so many children, uh, late adolescents that suffer from gender dysphoria uh, typically outgrow it. You know what the reason for that is? Completing puberty, which is not a set schedule for all individual people. Some people start early. Some people get done with it early. Some people are late to the party and are sometimes late in completing said party. And in all of those great scenarios, until you've at least completed puberty, you really don't know much. You're trying to figure it out. That needs to be your decision. So when your parents are trying to say, oh, it ain't going to be none of it. No. Okay, fine. They're angry because they don't want you to be put in a position that once upon a time in this country was a major disadvantage if the public knew. Not so much these days, pretty much celebrated, even though there's not a reason for it to be celebrated. But that's that's the reaction. That reaction comes not from, oh, I'm a bigoted homophobe. That reaction comes from feeling like somehow they've let you down because you are now in a position that in their day would have been dangerous for somebody. Now, there's there's no doubt that in the past, folks that would fall into these categories were not treated particularly well. Most of them are treated much, much better now. Still doesn't mean there's not some exceptions, uh, so don't send the hate mail saying, I'm ignoring the plight of the LGBT+. plus. I'm not. I'm really not. But the point of what I'm trying to tell you is social engineering is trying to accomplish something that's not for the betterment of the individual. When you have these folks that get involved in this activity under the guise of being convinced that they have an identity that's different than what they end up having, that's not a question of gender fluidity. That's a question of somebody who was a trusted authority figure uh, put the wrong messages inside your head and got you confused. If you're going to be confused about something, be confused on your own. Make choices on your own. Do not let teachers, do not let outside of the family forces determine for you that you need to sever ties with your family. Not over something like gender expression at any rate. 
Now, obviously, there are times where if you're in an abusive situation where that's wholly appropriate. That's a completely different story. The sad part is these days, uh, again, due largely to a glorious lack of life experience, sometimes you can be easily manipulated into believing that somebody's saying, hey, no, you're grounded until you can figure this out uh, as being abusive. It's not. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. But uh, it's not abusive. Anyway, I've gotten kind of off to the sidetrack here because it still falls to a very sad place when you have to realize that uh, too many people are trying to manipulate. Too many people are trying to control. And nobody seems to be really doing what's best for the students. These teachers, what they've done, uh, if it's not criminal, it should be. And whether it's criminal or not, it's definitely evil. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back after this brief message. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. My name's Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president. It's bad enough that the supply chain crisis of unloaded ships continues to threaten our economy. But is there yet another major reason store shelves may remain partially empty unless proper action is taken? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. In recent weeks, some of the container ships off the west coast of the United States were unloaded onto huge Union Pacific trains that have brought relief to the growing product shortages, or so we thought. But after the supply trains were loaded up in Los Angeles, they were literally allowed to sit there in lawless Los Angeles and be raided by thugs. Not one individual crook has been arrested for stealing billions of dollars worth of products that will now never make it to market, contributing to the already horrendous Biden administration supply chain crisis, which was already bad enough due to a major scamdemic-caused labor shortage. Perhaps this will help we the people to humble ourselves and seek God's forgiveness and providential guidance, as did the Founding Fathers. If not, forget about it. I'm Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds Coffee, simply go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Come on, man. All men and women created by gold. You know the you know the thing. You're a lion dog face pony soldier. I got hairy legs. Welcome to another edition of Thunderdome. Thunderdome is simple. 
Get to the weapons. Use them any way you can. I know you won't break the rules. There aren't any. What in the hell's diversity? <clears throat> well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. There was once upon a, a time that to be a Republican in this area of the country felt a little bit, by, a bit like being Gary Cooper in high noon, out, outnumbered in a big way. But I remember the story of a fellow who was running for office as a Republican and he was in a rural area and it wasn't known to be Republican and he stopped by a farm to do some campaigning and when the farmer heard he was a Republican his jaw dropped and he said wait right here till I go get Ma she's never seen a Republican before <laughs> so he got her and the candidate looked around for a podium from which to give his speech and the only thing he could find was a pile of that stuff that Bess Truman took 35 years trying to get Harry to call fertilizer. <laughs> so he got up on the mound, and when they came back, he gave his speech. And at the end of it, the farmer said, that's the first time I ever heard a Republican speech. And the candidate said, that's the first time I've ever given a Republican speech from a Democratic platform. <laughs> again so that maybe just maybe i can convince you to make a purchase while you're there and earn a small commission uh, so here's what i'm going to do i'm going to remind you real quick that hero soap is certainly head and shoulders of the most america first company that i'm familiar with uh, they have uh veterans who run the company they make contributions to, to veterans organizations to active duty personnel to first responders all of our heroes in uniform uh, they get some help uh, these folks source all their materials in the united states that they can and for the items that they cannot source in the u.s they use american companies to source those ingredients so they're making sure that americans are coming first all the way around. This is a company you can be proud to do business with. And best of all, they've got a lot of great soaps. And the best thing to do, because they're constantly changing that, they have all the basics. And then they're rotating out uh, temporary uh, uh, scents and, and styles. And then they have some non-soap uh, merchandise as well. 
So rather than me sit here and try to go down a big long list about what you can find at Hero Soap, I'm going to ask you to do something much simpler. And that is to go down in the show description, uh, find the link as it exists there, copy the whole thing, paste that link into your web browser, and visit them and see for yourself all the really great things that Hero Soap has going on. Once you're there also, you decide to, to sign up for a Suds subscription or just to try a single bar of soap. Whatever you want to do, as long as you use that link, they know I sent you. And I've got a chance of earning that very small commission. But even if you don't make a purchase, uh, if you decide to go back later, if you decide to keep going back, what have you, until you finally talk yourself into it, Keep using that link. That way they know that it's worthwhile to be affiliated with this show. They know that we're generating traffic to their website because they can still. And if you happen to be listening on terrestrial radio to the rebroadcast or for some other reason, if you just don't have access to the show description, what have you, well, then a little bit later when you have a reasonable and safe opportunity, uh, get online. And come visit me at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P, into the truth, all one word, dot com. Uh, from there, you'll scroll down the homepage and you'll see banners that will take you to Hero Soap as well as My Patriot Supply and a 24-7 press release and fine tuxedos and blue coolers and, and all these great companies that uh, you would be served well by, should you be interested. Uh, you click on those banners and it works just the same as if you use the link provided in the show description. So, hey, get that opportunity. By all means, please do so. It's, it's a small favor. It's a case of if you actually like this show long enough to hang out and hear me make these requests of you as frequently as I do, uh, rather than just sending me cash direct, which also would be great. You know, I do have a PayPal account, and I do take cryptocurrencies uh, for tips as well. You can do that over on the uh, <laughs> on the web page if you want. Um, not necessarily asking for it, but I won't turn it down. Uh, everything that you do goes to help improve the show. I, I need new equipment constantly. I would love to get to a point where I can focus more on doing the show instead of being stretched uh, a thousand different directions. And, and every little step along those way would help to achieve that goal. So if you like the show now well enough to listen, you would only like the show better if there was more support and I could do better. And the only support I'm asking for is to go visit one of these websites and go get something that you probably need anyway, or at the very least, that you want. All right, with that having been said, and uh, I'm through with that, there is a second education-related story that really, really, it made me even angrier than the first one. seems that there's a Fairfax County Public Schools uh, that, that they've asked the Supreme Court to hear a case that an appeals court judge literally made the statement that the school's asking to essentially get one free rape before staff could be responsible for the inaction of the school system. And you you did hear me correct. You know, everybody gets one. Uh, one get-out-of-jail-free car, one, uh, one pass-go card, one free rape, you know, uh, one freebie. 
Now, the National School Board Association, the NSBA, for those of you that like acronyms, they wrote a friend-of-the-court brief supporting Fairfax's position. The NSBA previously wrote a letter comparing parents to potential domestic terrorists, specifically singling out a father who was angry at the school board because his daughter had been raped at school. The school's groups are hoping that the high court will intervene to block a case brought by a teenage girl known as Jane Doe against the school system from going to trial. Now, the case places the NSBA and the Virginia School District up against the National Women's Law Center, the Human Rights Campaign, the National Black Women's Reproductive Justice Agenda, and other feminist, liberal, or survivor rights groups, all of whom filed an opposing friend of the court brief. National groups have a strong interest in the case because the legal question could set a precedent that would insulate school systems and staff from liability for failing to take action after they learn about an alleged sexual assault on school grounds. Now, Shatter the Silence, a group of survivors of sexual assault within Fairfax schools and their families, said in a statement, quote, The Fairfax County School Board has no shame. Board members plaster their equity comments on Twitter and pass empty resolutions claiming that inclusion and civil rights guide their governance. In reality, they spend taxpayers' money asking the Supreme Court to enshrine a one-free-rape safe harbor for schools that fail to properly investigate allegations of student sexual abuse. 14,000 people have signed a position, signed a petition calling for FCPS to drop the appeal, as well as for the state attorney general to investigate the school district's handling of sexual assaults. Fairfax County school system here said in a statement that, that it asked the Supreme Court to hear the case in order to help teachers. See, the, the question in this case is only about whether Congress intended America's public schools and the teachers that work in them to be held financially responsible for student-on-student -student misconduct that they had no way to foresee and, and did not cause. That's uh, it's not exactly true, though, is it? When you start encouraging teenage boys to, to explore their gender fluidity and, and invite them to spend time in the girls' bathrooms and the girls' dressing rooms and, and understanding that even by the definition of uh, fluidity, that, that at any second uh, those testosterone uh, hormones could start kicking back in and all of a sudden here I am in the middle of the girls bathroom and I feel like a man now there's no way that could possibly lead to anything bad right how could teachers and staff members administrators possibly conceive the, the wild far out notion that something bad might happen I mean 
they had no way to foresee the possible misconduct. Anyway, that uh, continues. Quote, to fail to challenge the Fourth Circuit's ruling would be to let down public school educators the length and breadth of the United States, and especially in Virginia, during a time when they need support more than ever. Fairfax County Public Schools is committed to upholding Title IX and firmly believes that every student deserves an education free from harassment or discrimination. Okay, well, what about free from sexual assault? I mean, I, that seems a pretty legitimate question at this point in the game, okay? Um, you don't want them to have to deal with the challenges of harassment or discrimination. Isn't sexual assault like harassment elevated? Isn't it an issue that goes from a disciplinary issue to a criminal disciplinary issue? And, but, you know, it, it's still, how could you have anticipated? How could you have expected? And you certainly didn't cause it, right? Right. Anyway, back to continuing. The, the decision to pursue this legal avenue has nothing to do with challenging this critical civil rights law. However, in its petition to the court filed back in December, it described the issue differently, saying the high court would be settling the question of, quote, whether the requirement of actual knowledge is met when a school lacks a subjective belief that any harassment actionable under Title IX occurred. Now, I, I like how they're trying to hide behind this language, and they're trying to rely on a change in interpretation to Title IX uh, that occurred under the Obama administration. Because previous to that, Title IX basically just meant equal uh, opportunities for Females. So you, you had male sports. You needed to have an equivalent for female sports. You, you had uh, locker rooms for the guys. You needed to have locker rooms for the girls. There had to be equal opportunities there. There had to be equal facilities there. Title IX was never intended, as, as it was written, to apply to transgenders in any fashion. But the Obama administration did this strange, funny little thing, and they said, well, we, we're going to say it does now. Nobody's challenged that at all. I wonder if that will end up being heard by the Supreme Court. Does the Obama administration's interpretation of Title IX uh, stand up to legal scrutiny? Sadly, uh, there's too many lower courts that would probably say, well, yeah, because we love Obama, yay! Bunch of morons. Anyway, that is, uh, of course, when they talk about actionable harassment, uh, it's a reference to the school's official's duty to investigate under Title IX after learning of an incident. So Title IX attorney uh, Monica Beck who was not involved in this particular case, but previously spoke with uh, media outlets like the Daily Wire, the Blaze, the Daily Caller. Uh, in speaking with these folks, um, basically 
said that the district was claiming that being told of an alleged incident was not enough to clear that bar, which essentially creates a catch-22, right? Okay, you're assaulted. You go tell somebody you were assaulted. Well, what evidence do you have? Okay, the crying, uh, the, the fact that if you called the police and ran a rape kit right now, you would find all kinds of evidence that would suggest that I've been assaulted. That's the evidence I have. Well, that seems so subjective. Again, morons. Say, we have uncovered, thanks to the investigative journalism of the Daily Wire, that the Fairfax, Virginia, and the Loudoun County, Virginia school systems both actively engaged in covering up sexual assaults in order to protect their policy of transgender bathroom use. That, that's not a question anymore. That has been proven. They create this catch-22, establishing, well, you know, it's, we have to have a high bar. They say here, we didn't have actual knowledge and therefore have to investigate according to Title IX rules because we didn't actually know a rape occurred. If you don't investigate, how are you ever going to know for sure that it happened? That's a good question. So back in June... A three-judge panel from the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, led by Judge James Wynn, ruled against FCPS and ordered that Doe should have her day in court. Back in August, it declined FCPS' request to rehear the case with a larger group known as the Unblanc, uh, with Wynn contradicting FCPS's characterization of the issue writing that no one was contending that a school can face retroactive liability for the assault itself when the assault was committed by another student, and the school had no prior warning that it would occur. Rather, a school may be held liable for its own behavior in response to a peer assault. Surely a student is subjected to discrimination on the basis of sex when they report a sexual assault by a fellow student on school property and are met with nothing more than a collective shrug of the shoulders or worse still, with an accusatory question of flat-out blame. Uh, this is all still coming from the judge. Now, the schools argued, he said, that Title IX does not make clear that schools may be held liable for their response to a single instance of sexual harassment. But the statute itself makes plain that a school may be held liable when it makes a student vulnerable to sexual harassment by their peers, such as by failing to respond appropriately after learning of an initial incident of sexual assault. In other words, schools do not get, quote, one free rape. That's why the Justice Department the Department of Justice, the Department of Education, and several other sister circuits have correctly concluded that a single severe instance of peer-on-peer -peer harassment can lead to liability for the school where the school's response, or lack thereof, leaves the victim vulnerable to additional harassment. 
Now, there's more to read in the story if you're so inclined. But at this point, you clearly get the gist of it. The judge in that case has made it quite clear what the school is actually asking for. We don't want to be held liable for our actions or, more to the point, our lack of action. And they're trying to make the case that they're being held accountable not for what they failed to do after the fact, but for the act itself. The judge, appropriately, is making the distinction. The judge is saying that presumably, and this is an awful big assumption at this point, but presumably the school would not let a sexual predator just wander about the school. So hopefully you have no reason to be suspicious that students are in danger. Presumably the school system is going to take every step necessary in order to try to protect their students on a normal basis without being overly invasive. Now, if those things are in place and a peer-on-peer incident occurs, a sexual assault occurs, then it is incumbent upon you to follow up appropriately. And just as a spoiler alert, just a little FYI for school administrators across the country, responding appropriately is not sweeping it under the rug. Responding appropriately is not pretending it didn't happen for the sake of the agenda. Responding appropriately is investigating. Not necessarily biased, but an honest investigation. Get to the truth. And once you have the truth, further action as required by the circumstances uh, as they existed. Take action. If a student's committing sexual assaults on the premises, they need to be expelled. They should not be allowed back on school property for any point in time. They should be removed, thereby protecting the other students that remain on your campus. And that's not enough. They need to be referred to the justice system. Period. In fact, I think it's probably reasonable that as soon as the accusation is made, if you have serious reason to believe it's true, even when you haven't established that, a suspension until the outcome of the investigation would also be wholly appropriate. And, yes, by the way, still, bring in law enforcement. Let them conduct an investigation because – they're probably going to be better equipped to make a more definitive determination on the uh, accusation than most schools would be. But hey, that's not the important thing. The important thing is that they not be held responsible because, you know, it's the parents that are the domestic terrorists. Uh, The school boards are perfectly reasonable people that are fighting for equity. Blah, 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 blah. Evil. Evil. Diabolical. That's the word. That is the theme song of today. Diabolical. All right. That's going to have to be it for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for staying with me to the end. As always, I am humbled and honored by it. And uh, you know what? This is where I say goodbye for now. But we'll be back real soon. At least that's my intention. Uh, In the meanwhile, uh, you know. Don't take my word for it, not not one little bit, but please, 
If you're listening to a left-leaning source for information, don't take their word for it either. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Meanwhile, uh, stay safe if you can. It's getting harder and harder. Uh, Biden uh, criminal crime wave just running wild. Uh, stay healthy if you can. Omicron's everywhere. And, uh, you know, be smart, uh, even if it goes against your nature. Uh, and, uh, oh, yeah. Hey, hey, Joe. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, let's go. Hey. Using both hands. <laughs> 